0: Time for Baldry's Beat, Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Let's start with the breaking news here about uh, Ottawa, and yeah. Justin Trudeau has uh, brought
1: in his new cabinet. What jumps out at you there? Uh, Joyce Murray moving upwards to uh, Minister of Fisheries. So BC retains its four ministers, albeit uh, a couple of them moving. Uh, Jonathan Wilkinson moving, I think, sort of a sideways from environment to natural resources. Car- Carla Quattro retains her employment um, uh, portfolio. And as expected, Harjit Sajjan is losing yes. defense. I mean, that was widely expected, but he's remaining in cabinet, which was also the speculation. He's gone to international development. Yeah,
0: so Harjit Sajjan, like no surprise there. I mean, None. I think he's been a, di- a really been a disaster, really, in his handling of the sexual harassment file in the Canadian military. It just seems to go on and on and on. He's
1: completely ineffective. His his okay. replacement, Anita and and I forget how you pronounce her name, but she's yeah, an up-and-coming right. star. She was the procurement minister, right? and she was in charge of the vaccination program. At the beginning, there was a lot of criticism, but now sort of became the star because the vaccination programs proved so successful.
0: Well, let's have a listen to her actually just being sworn in a short time ago as Canada's new defense minister, replacing British Columbia's Harjit Sajjan. Have a listen here.
1: I, Indira Anita Anand, do solemnly and sincerely promise and swear that I will truly and faithfully, and to the
0: best of my skill and knowledge, execute the powers and trust reposed in me as Minister of National Defense, so help me God. Okay, so she becomes the second woman to mm-hmm. hold the national defense portfolio. The first was Kim Campbell, Kim Campbell. from British yeah. Columbia. So I think that's significant. And I also think it's significant they're putting a woman in there at a time when this sexual harassment scandal just won't go away.
1: Yeah, again, no surprise that a woman is going into defense. And again, she's yeah. an up-and-coming star. Uh, she really handled the procurement portfolio extremely well at a time when it was never more important, when vaccine procuring vaccines was like the top priority. And at the beginning, there was some rockiness, but then it became a success. So no yeah, surprise it, she's in. It's
0: kind of interesting. She was a, a, a rookie MP back in 2019 when she first went in there. And she gets this procurement job, which is kind of like, oh, you know, it's yeah. kind of a what, rookie what tri- rookie, yeah. rookie job. And then suddenly it becomes it it, huge because she was in charge of the vaccine
1: rollout. And it was a new portfolio. Uh, again, we never had that before. And suddenly it became, a, it became a very big deal. So now she's in a very high-profile position. As you say, the second only the second woman. Uh, next to Kim Campbell, who I used to cover when she was here as an MLA briefly.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Okay, um, let's talk about the deadline now for healthcare workers to get vaccinated. It's that's today. Today, right? Yeah,
1: yeah so uh, today is the day. Now, if you um, have one dose, it has to be seven days after your first dose, and you can still work if you agree to uh, undertaking to get a second dose, and you're still subject to PPE, and you may have some restrictions on your work. Relatively few. So there's about 130,000 people in healthcare. About um, 3,400, as of yesterday, had, had yet to receive a single dose of vaccine. Those people will not be allowed to work. They're going to be put on unpaid leave. Their future remains uh, uh, uncertain. Uh, I th- would think if they do get vaccinated down the road, they will be allowed to come back to work. If it's one dose, seven days after your first dose, probably subject to conditions. It's not like we want to get rid of uh, people out of healthcare, But it's going to be interesting. 3% unvaccinated. Small number. Unless you apply it to 130,000 people. Now you're talking 3,400 people. And in all walks of occupations in healthcare, I got a note from someone in uh, in interior town yesterday saying they have five doctors. Two of them are unvaccinated, have to wow. close up shop. One wow. of them working for an online doctor uh, agency. So in a small town, it's going to have a disproportionate, uh, heavy impact. If you lose even a handful of nurses or doctors, medical staff out of a small community, it's going to have a big impact. It's not going to have as big an impact in Vancouver or Surrey, where there's just so many more workers.
0: Okay, Premier John Horgan was asked about this yesterday, and he was asked, why are you bringing this mandate in when it could create a staffing shortage or problems? And he just said, look, unvaccinated workers are a threat in in hospitals and elsewhere. Here's what he had to say.
1: If those uh, unvaccinated workers become ill and they're asymptomatic, they can bring COVID-19 into their workforce, which will further disrupt uh, services to uh, those citizens. Okay, so
0: he says that's why they're doing it. He was also asked, well, what if there is a staffing crunch? What if this leads to problems? So
1: I discovered yesterday, for example, we've hired 30 anesthesiologists. Out of uh, from across Canada, in the anticipation, there were going to be some anesthesiologists and anesthesiologists who were not vaccinated. So there's been quietly a lot of action behind the scenes of hiring people. Hmm. We've hired a number of nurses from Alberta in anticipation, again for a small number of uh, medical frontline workers who've chosen not to be vaccinated uh so there's they're going to be replaced but again i'm not sure we're going to replace 3400 people again not all of them are medical staff there's a number of um heu workers are going to be affected by this uh you know uh, food preparation service workers it, look at long term care it's interesting about almost 2000 about 1900 people are going to get termination slips today in long term care because they chose not to be vaccinated about 350 of those people are nurses how does alberta premier jason kenney feel about bc taking their nurses well, I don't think Jason, Jason Kennedy's got a lot of things to worry about other than that right now. So we're, we're apparently hiring nurses from across the country and medical staff from across the country. Here's Horgan yesterday on this point. Uh, he was asked about whether there'd be
0: staffing problems, and he said, look, we've got a plan here. Have a listen.
1: I'm confident that with the time that's been made available to health authorities, uh, working with Dr. Henry and Minister Dix, uh, that our health authorities are in a position to ensure that we can continue to uh, provide uh, world-class quality care. Okay, so we don't know the, all, all the details of exactly We're gonna what We're going to get that at 1.30 one, 1 today. Okay. We're going to get a breakdown of, uh, of uh, occupations in this, where I'm told it's not going to be a huge issue in Metro Vancouver or the capital. It's going to be a big issue in the interior and the north, where there's smaller pools of people. And again, you look at a smaller community or a mid-sized community where you don't have a huge hospital. You've got a smaller health facility. And maybe you've got 50 people working there. Well, you know, 3% of 50 is still a big number. You you can't afford to lose one person at a time when... People are uh, overstretched, working uh, long hours, already burnt out, and then suddenly you lose a couple of your colleagues. It just puts more pressure on. So it's the small towns that are going to feel the impact of this. Okay,
0: that is one to watch closely here in the days ahead for sure. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the climate plan that was rolled out yesterday by the Horgan government called Clean BC. Mm-hmm. And this is being rolled out ahead of the latest UN climate change conference coming up in Scotland. And the plan is to reduce carbon emissions in Britain British Columbia uh, dramatically uh, seventy no the forty percent reduction from two thousand and seven levels by the year twenty thirty. Now we've never met a,
1: a, one of these no. targets. I mean, we no. we
0: blew another one last year. And,
1: uh, one of the problems is, uh, or one of the challenges is, the public can't get their heads around what what is the target? How does that yeah. translate? And uh, they were asked questions about this in the briefing in the uh, news conference yesterday. Uh, translate this into real life. What is the yeah. impact on a daily a, a person's daily life as a result of this? And they were unable to do that. And that's one of the challenges <laughs> all governments have is turning uh, emission targets into real-life situations. And that's that's a challenge. Now, we're going to get an increase in the carbon tax. We're going to have more incentives. Well, that's for the election. reality is you're going to yeah. pay more. You're going to pay more. Uh, <laughs> Shine away from mobility pricing or any real specifics when it comes to how your pocketbook is hit. And inevitably, it will be. But it, it's it's a plan, and it's got some lofty targets, and we are going to see, um, you know, more incentives get people out of your vehicle into electric vehicles, into, you know, more greener and less uh, reliance on, on fossil fuels.
0: Not a lot, a a lot of details there. I mean, there's still negotiations that have to take place. A lot
1: of negotiations, you know? and again, we keep setting these targets, and nobody really meets them. No, no, we I mean, we
0: didn't. We we missed the target last year. I, Canada, I don't think Canada or V.C. has ever met and one they of keep these getting
1: targets. They keep getting redefined yeah. as well. like The criteria used to, de- to decide this keeps – the goalposts keep changing.
0: Horgan uh, taking some heat from environmental groups as, who say this doesn't go far enough. They wanted to see uh, tougher targets, and they also want to see steps to basically shut down natural gas production in BC. Like we had a debate right off the bat on the show today. I heard that front with Peter McCartney, Wilderness Committee, and he went on against uh, the the head of the Dawson Creek Chamber of Commerce, where they got thousands of people working in natural gas and fracking up no, there.
1: No government's going to shut down the oil and gas. Anymore. Well, that's
0: it. I mean, he's saying you got to shut down fracking. You got to close down all these natural gas pipelines. No, not you got to. Sh- you got to shut down that LNG Canada mega project.
1: Not going like, to happen. Com- that's not happening. Not happening under any government's watch. Yeah. You know, it's it's the NDP or the Liberals in this province. Uh, or, or the conservatives or the NDP in Alberta uh, neither, none of them so we're what is so this
0: whole guess. thing we're gonna reduce our emissions and what is this just a big pantomime like you know is it just like a make-believe well, thing? I
1: think I think things are being done um, to try to meet these targets but I, I just not, again how realistic they are when you when you apply your daily life to some of these uh, these uh, lofty goals I just don't think the two coincide
0: okay well, The carbon tax is going to go up. You're going to pay more to put gas in your car. You're going to pay more to heat your home if you're using natural gas to heat your home.
1: And And it might cause some people to drive less, but I think people just become sort of inured with the tax increases. You know, it's just part of your budget. Do you remember when John Horgan was opposed to the carbon
0: tax Mm -hmm. under the... The (laughs) When he was in opposition so i went into the Wayback machine here and have a listen to this so this is john horgan in opposition here talking about the carbon tax don't do it don't raise that carbon tax here's what horgan had to say back then
1: maybe we should freeze the carbon tax at its current rate rather than uh increase the rates in june of next year and then june of the following year I think that's a reasonable course of action. Yeah,
0: that's what he said back then. Don't don't whack people with this carbon tax. Here's another thing he had to say, Keith. So he's talking about well, when you put this carbon tax up, what about people who live in the north of British Columbia where they got to heat their homes? This is unfair to them. Here's what Horgan had to say back then about that.
1: How are people in northern parts of British Columbia? People in uh, on the wild west coast where the winds blow and the uh, and the uh, temperatures drop. What's the cost going to be to those people? Are they going to be able to catch a bus to to come to uh, Victoria to buy some weather stripping? No, they're not. They're going to have to get in their car and pay for that as well.
0: Yeah, so he didn't like the carbon tax back then. No. Now, he's, now he's jacking I'll, it up.
1: How unfair of you to use the Wayback Machine like that? That's <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, I just think it's it's uh, it, he's done a complete flip-flop on it. The NDP used to fight that carbon tax. Well, they, fought,
1: they, they fought it for one campaign, and yeah. they realized the foolhardiness of that position. And you know, they've come around on it. Uh, but again, the realities of governing... Uh, often mean your op- your positions in opposition go by the wayside. But
0: the stuff that he just said there in that clip is still true yeah. today for people who live in northern British Columbia, where it's, it it gets cold. I mean, they got well, to spend a lot their
1: cold. And also, people have to drive up there. Well, there's, there's, there's no, no transit. transit. There's no right. transit. You, the reality is, and they are long distances. So yeah. it's it's it is a, a conundrum of why you necessarily penalize people who live in the rural uh, constituencies.
0: All right. Welcome back. It's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Walter and Surrey. Hi. Hi
1: there. Yeah. Instead of, uh, for, for the taxes, instead of putting the money towards general coffers, why don't they put the money directly into the purchase of an electric vehicle? They don't want us to use um, carbon-based materials, so money should go straight to the purchase of a vehicle. that. That goes on, on that, so why didn't the government do that as opposed to go back into general coffers?
0: Well, I mean, the carbon tax when it was when the carbon tax was originally introduced by Gordon Campbell and the Liberals, they said it was so-called revenue neutral, yeah. which meant that every time it goes up, they were legally required to reduce another tax, like reduce your income tax or whatever. Yeah,
1: those days are over.
0: The NDP got rid of that, so the money from the carbon tax now goes directly into general revenue. I'm not sure if it would make much of a difference if they earmarked it and said, "Okay, we're going to." Exclusively spend this money. There are, there are money.
1: programs to reduce the cost of um, purchasing electrical vehicles, uh, and that'll probably be become more ambitious in the, in the years ahead. There's going to be more incentives and more funds and more subsidies to uh, curb the emission of green uh, uh, fossil fuels. But uh, it's evolving. I mean, if you take a
0: look at these uh, targets now for zero emission vehicles, I believe it's like twenty thirty now mm-hmm. that it will be. You y- y- will. All the vehicles have to be zero emission. All new vehicles.
1: I'm like, always, is that feasible? I don't, I don't see how that's possible. I'm always skeptical of long-term government plans. There's, you know, governments could change hands several times before we get to 2030. Policies. Well, there's can like change. two more elections between then. So all sorts of policies yeah, can change. Please. So again, uh, meeting targets a year out is challenging enough, let alone ten years.
0: Let's go to Gordon on the line in West Kelowna. Hi.
1: Hi, yeah, you followed up on how, how the cost of us people, I grew up in the valley here, went north for 50 years, and driving back and forth, heating homes up there, and we were taught in school that uh, fossil fuels, the natural gas was the cleanest of them all. Having said that, if we were to go, we, we'd get screwed on the carbon tax, as you already mentioned. But having said that, here's the thing. If they didn't even want the site sightsee dam, and now we had all this supposed going to have all this excess power. Now, if we were to heat our homes, they claim that if we all were electric right now in our cars, there wouldn't be enough electricity. Now, how in yeah. the hell could we switch over to electric and heat our homes? The Infrastructure couldn't handle it, number one. We don't have enough power. So yeah. so where are we going? we got to heat. heat. We live in the cold. So that's my point, I guess.
0: Gordon, thank you for the call. I think you raise a lot of really good points. Well,
1: electricity, we need more, we'll need more electricity if it's considered to be clean power rather than uh, fossil fuels. Uh, another argument for Site C. Let's go to Ryan in Surrey. Hi, Ryan. I'm touching base on the carbon tax as well. And it's uh, my biggest problem with it is it's extremely disproportionate to society. Like many... As Horgan had originally said, up north, they have higher heating costs. They don't have transit. But even within the city limits or the lower mainland, we are, our demographics are so varied and we're all house poor. People that own a house often don't have a lot of extra money. People that are divorced and rent and pay child support. How am I to buy an SUV to fit me, my kids, and my uh, my girlfriend and her kids, etc.? An entry-level Tesla SUV is $90,000.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You now it gets into an affordability argument. Oh, yeah, no, seconds.
1: for sure. You don't see a lot of uh, low-income people driving these electrical vehicles, and that's a challenge.
0: Yeah, and it get, really gets down to, you know, this will be an affordability case the government will have to make here as we go along And that's this.
1: why I'm still very skeptical of making a real dent in this, because so many people just don't have the incomes to match some of this stuff.